Are you gonna give up? Are you gonna like stop? I'm like, no, I'm not stopping. Welcome to Founders Voyage. Our speaker today is very special. He attended the first MIT bootcamp and proceeded to manage several of the following bootcamps. He has put his life behind developing communities for the good of those within them. Many of you will already know Andrew Nguyen. Hi, my name's Andrew. Um, I attended bootcamp six years ago. Super excited to share what I'm doing now. So it's been an interesting journey over the last six years since I went to bootcamp. I want to start with a story about why bootcamp was transformational for me. And what was transformational for me at bootcamp was actually before the bootcamp started. At the first bootcamp, or when we were going applying to bootcamp, nobody knew what was going to happen. But I think what we knew was that this was a transformational time for everybody who had applied and been accepted. At least for me, I was in a uh, pivotal point in my journey. So my background is in design. I have been working in design for many, many years. I remember starting my first design side gig in and when I was 17 when you feel invincible and super powerful because the world's at your fingertips. And that was also around the same time when the internet first started in the 90s. So I started doing some design work for companies designing my own website, writing code for the website. And then that progressed to designing, you know, websites for people. Um, those design, uh, website designs ended up becoming, you know, brand identity work. At that point in time, I was in, uh, product and uh, product industrial design program. Then I went on to study some more in Toronto, Canada, and that was that led to a graphic design degree. Um, and then I graduated and started working in this field called wayfinding. So wayfinding essentially is helping people to find their way. And how we do this is by creating signs, placing them in an environment, say like a subway system or a campus, like a university. And so all that to say, fast forward to where I was in 2014, when I applied to the bootcamp program, was that I was a specialist in this field of design, working at the third uh, most busy subway system or transportation system in North America after Mexico and New York City. And we were rolling out a design program to upgrade and improve the signage. I was looking for a pathway forward. And so that's why I applied to the bootcamp program. The majority of the people who applied were, are not from around the world. The moment you apply and you accept, accept it. Okay. So confirm your spot, put the thousand dollars down. And because everybody's not from around here, uh, the U S or, uh, North America, a thousand dollars from a purchase parity, purchasing power parity is significantly exponential. So at that time in 2014, crowdfunding was the way to go. Of course, we're all young uh, and uh, very full and confident of ourselves. So we said, 
Okay, we'll self-organize on Facebook and we'll build a campaign and everybody's gonna everybody's gonna you know donate to us because we're awesome and because we have this amazing diversity of knowledge that we can leverage uh for to do great things of course you know looking back we'll laugh at it because it's such ridiculous bias right the whole idea of confirmation bias but it's incredible so it's roughly about 15 to 20 people we self-divided into teams based on our expertise and then we executed so self-organized on facebook in a day across multiple time zones from Asia all the way to the US, right? All the different time zones. And, and we started working, right? Uh, 72 hours. So it took us 72 hours to launch uh, the first iteration of the crowdfunding campaign. Had, working in the sub teams, eight hour shifts, handing off from uh, Asia. So in the, um, you know, from uh, Southeast Asia, uh, South Asia, India, Africa, Europe, um, and then from all the way to East Coast to West Coast. Uh, people were, were working on videos, websites, donation letters, strategy, copywriting. That was incredible because we were still aligning vision, mission, and purpose, right? We were short-term uh, focused. Get enough money, earn enough money so that we can go to MIT <laughs> to the to the bootcamp program, and yeah, so that was that was exciting. So seventy two hours later, we're like, okay, this was awesome, um, good to go, and then took another seventy two hours to refine it, and we launched. And so the light bulb moment about uh, building community and why this was so transformational for me was because I was like, how is this possible? Typically when you build community, you need to, you need to be in the same place. You need to know who you, you typically would have met. You typically would have known somebody for a while. So how, how is this impossible? We've never met in person uh, and we've really never known each other and we've really not done anything. And, and suddenly in, in quite literally in 72 hours or, and then there was the second cycle of the 72 hours, we've launched a crowdfunding campaign. I've quite never, I've, you know, I have struggled with so many different execution teams in dealing with, you know, launching a website, not to mention a crowd campaign, crowdfunding campaign. And so that really uh, took me by surprise. And so I talked to, I talked to Sid, who was part of my team at bootcamp. Uh, obviously he was, you know, I didn't know him till we met at boot camp. But what happened was like, hey, can you, are you seeing what I'm seeing? How is it that people who have never met from all around the world can do this incredible thing together? How is that even possible? And the only reason why I could, we could think or recognize that this was possible is because of the significant 
I would say 99, at least in the group that was, act, you know, implementing the crowdfunding campaign, it was quite literally, it was 99.99% the focus, vision, mission, and direction, and the values. And without that, I don't think that could ever happen going forward. And so that was really transformational. I had submitted a pitch for the bootcamp, and then by the time this had happened, and then I went to the bootcamp, that ended up becoming my new pitch, which is really I want to create a global community that would live as a support group. Because the idea is, if you want to go far, you got to go together, right? The sum is greater than the parts, and you can't do it alone, which is really the basis for the foundation of the community. So essentially, what we found it was called Global Entrepreneurs. And then when I had the opportunity to join the bootcamp team, that, that essentially became the de facto bootcamp community. Uh, and that's grown. I was so excited to share the story with you because, you know, you guys are part of it. Um, that's grown to so many people from all around the world. And, and really, that's the vision. The vision is you can't do it alone. Um, and if you want to go far and you want to solve um, problems that are bigger than ourselves, the impact that we want to create that is greater than anything that we can do on our own, I think that's really a big part of that. Um, and so fast forward to the reason for this presentation today is really based on uh, some of the things that were created and then it was started and the London alumni. Spencer, were you part of it? Of the SSH? Yeah. I went to two of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, right. So, Chrissy, Chrissy's out here. Chrissy, if you're seeing this, you're awesome. Um, so, Chrissy and David, I don't know who else was involved. And they started this thing called SSH which is uh, the secure shell in Unix, but also, uh, you know, it was a super secret hangout. And it's really a way to engage with innovators and to support innovators because in our innovation and life journeys, stuff happens. And there is no one to talk to and you feel all alone. And that has been a challenge uh, for many. And if you read, you know, medium.com, you'll see a lot of um, innovators and entrepreneurs who have actually shared their uh, journey with mental health. And that's one thing that not many people have specifically focused on in supporting um, because it build, it requires a lot of trust. It requires a lot of relationship and a lot of information that is shared is confidential. So that's why Chrissy's, Chrissy and the group of alum in, in London uh, started the program. And it was really based on uh, small groups of being able to provide, uh, being able to share how they feel without judgment so the ability to suspend judgment, the ability to feel supported 
um, and the ability to feel hurt, right? In the original program, I think uh, Christy was sharing, and I wish Christy was here because she could share from her perspective and maybe that's something um, she can perhaps jump on a, on a, a separate call. The idea was that the for every super secret hangout, uh, one person would share and then everybody else would reflect back to and share what they heard from their perspective. And as, as something like one thing that, uh, you know, you can, that the person can think about in terms of helping them move forward. Even as simple as like, hey, you know, I empathize with your, your position where you're at right now perhaps consider something to to move forward, right? Maybe it's not about moving forward, but just to be heard. Uh, more recently, I moved on to a new opportunity here in Peoria, Illinois. Peoria, Illinois is the small, biggest small city between Chicago and St. Louis. And um, it's a really exciting place to be. It's a really exciting place because what people typically call a Midwestern third tier city is actually super vibrant and full of life and I'm discovering new things every single day. This is uh, historically this has been also a place of piloting and testing. Um, there's a term or a phrase that goes something like if it plays in Peoria it plays anywhere. And this is because I believe in the 18 or 1900s there, there was a variety show uh, on, called Vaudeville, and it's the precursor for the variety programming that we have on TV nowadays. And so that's really where that started, or what put Peoria on the map. The some famous companies that have um, started and launched and grown globally here. One of them that's pretty famous is Caterpillar. Uh, for the longest time. Peoria has, you know, rested on its laurels with Caterpillar being the global and dominant leader in the construction mining industry with their vehicles. But at the same time, um, that also uh, eclipsed a lot of startups coming out of there. Um, I'm working in innovation and startups here. And one of the things that I'm looking at quite specifically is community-driven entrepreneurship. Right? If you, so the work that I did with uh, boot camps uh, was on a global focus, but going way back to when we founded the global entrepreneurs community, there was always two parts. The first part was the global community, but at the same time, in order to thrive, you always need a local community. And so the local community component at Christian Spencer and all the other David and all the other people who started locally in London was by far the, the best community, engaged community on an ongoing basis because they recognize the need for, for, for that, right? They recognize the need to support one another. And I'm so pleased and excited to hear that this continues to go on. And so I wanted to say that the super secret hangouts was a good part of that. Um, and that continues to, you know, grow with regards to the London community. 
with all the different meetups that you guys are planning. Um, and and from my part, I wanted to also share uh, this new program that we started here. So I'm going to share my screen. Just give me one second. So Andrew's going to share his screen. You, Everyone who needs to have a look, you'll need to click to join the stream when that pops up. Yeah, so it's called Red Biz Growth Camp. And so uh, this wasn't started by me. I'm just helping to, you know, run the program with the other people in the team. Um, so it started by um, a business owner, uh, an entrepreneur here called, uh, his name is Kenneth Mitchell. He currently works in a financial um, sector and also supported by uh, Dean Hefter, who is a corporate coach uh, and consultant. And so the idea of Red Biz comes from the redwood trees that you commonly in California and what's interesting about the redwood trees are that they are super tall super huge giant gigantic trees uh, the interesting part about these trees are that their root structures the roots don't go very deep but what the roots actually do are quite significant because they weave interconnected webs of root structures throughout the entire redwood forest, which means that every tree at the roots are connected to one another. And so that's why, that's why, that's the story behind the word uh, red biz, right? So the idea of the interconnected structure uh, for business professionals and business owners based on the redwood trees. Um, and so it originally started with a once a month lunch meetup. And then when I joined last year, it kind of grew into, Hey, we want to do some small groups and, um, you know, recognizing their root in their face. Uh, so the majority of the people who are in connection with this are Christian. So they, we want to live by faith-based values, um, not very dissimilar to the Alcoholics Anonymous program. So it is a small group experience uh, seeking for all seeking professional growth environment and it's designed to build relationships, um, help you improve on the goals uh, apart, um, and uh, you're supported uh, through an accountability exercise over three months or 12 weeks. And CAMP is an acronym for Creating Awareness, Mastery, and Progress. And so how this works is that you meet once every two weeks to walk through um, the one thing that you want to uh, work on uh, over the last, uh, over the next 12 weeks. And so my story is that I had issues sleeping, uh, from a while ago 
And so I said, hey, okay, I want to join this group. And that's what I want to work on. So essentially over the, that 12 weeks, that group helped me to work on and kept me accountable on um, being able to improve my sleep cycle. And that became, that was, that, that 12 weeks ended up. So quite literally, they made a really good suggestion. Take my phone. If you are using your phone before you sleep, don't charge it by your bed, move it aside, put it somewhere else. And then very night I got seven hours and 45 minutes of sleep. So that was a huge breakthrough for me because a lot of this stuff is all behavioral. Um, so behavioral change is hard and that's why you need help to move forward and you can't do it on your own. There's no way. Uh, very few people, I would say, I have not met one single person <laughs> who has had any sort of behavioral change on their own. They typically have help from somebody. Um, then I went into the second group and then the second group, uh, my thing that I wanted to change was uh, to improve my eating habits. Um, and for me, uh, improving my eating habits means that I gain a level of discipline. I gain a level of change in my routine. And that fundamentally impacts everything else in my work environment. It fundamentally impacts how I structure my day, my work, my personal life, and everything else. And so even though it may not necessarily be uh, a professional area that I'm actually improving on, the personal aspects that I'm trying to work on actually improve the output that I see in my professional uh, life. So that to me has been uh, quite significant. Okay, so how does this work exactly? Um, so you have to own it, right? Like we talked about it in bootcamp, own the problems you want to solve. And so we're not owning other people's problems, we're owning our own problems, right? So I'm owning the problem of uh, establishing a good sleep pattern. I'm owning the problem of eating well or eating in, in a, a new routine that I'm not uh, used to. And that's where the support comes in. And so each group has about four to five people that are committed to you, right? By joining a group like that, you say, yes, I, I'm not going to own your problem, but I'm going to be committed to pushing you and encouraging you and praying for you to say, hey, you know, you are where you are, but... Um, I'm going to walk this journey out with you. And that is rare and that is hard. Um, but that's essentially the people who sign up for this program. You're basically saying you recognize that I am weak, you're weak, but together we are strong. And that's similar to the whole idea of redwood trees, 
right? Um, and how it works is there's six one-hour meetings that occur, so it's bi-weekly. And the reason why it's bi-weekly is because change is hard and it takes time, and you know you need to not just attend the the group, but also time for you to implement that. Um, and so, in addition to that, it's also to connect with other uh, business owners and professionals in the region. Um, and that's why there's also a one-on-one -on -one, uh, conversation that you're encouraged to reach out to one another. Not unlike to what we do at Bootcamp, because we already do it, you know, every time there's a new Bootcamp uh, that's just over, everybody's like, oh, let's connect with somebody else that I haven't met before. Um, so super excited about that part too. Um, and so because of the coronavirus, uh, what used to be geographically restricted to the greater Peoria area now is open to the world. So we're starting this new one called Growth Camp Online. And uh, it's open to anyone and everyone who is searching for uh, professional development in a safe environment, right? So that brings me to this next registration form. Um, and I'll share the link later. So the orientation that's coming up is on May 6th. So that's 12.30 Central Time, uh, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific, or May 8th on Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern, um, 6 a.m. Pacific. And then that goes on for 12, uh, 12 weeks. And so there's six group meetings. Um, let's see, what else? Um, yeah, so everything's 100% confidential. And what do you share in your group? Uh, every group member is uh, agrees to keep everything that's shared there confidential within the group and is not to be repeated elsewhere. So first thing I wanted to ask is, so you said uh, you were working on sleep and diet for your um, your two sessions that you've done. Uh, so it doesn't have to be necessarily a, um, a professional thing, but it should be some sort of behavioral, personal behavioral change you're after. Well, it really doesn't matter as long as you can clearly quantify it and articulate it in a way that people can hold you accountable. because. Uh, if it's not sufficiently clear and not actionable or not measurable, uh, then it'll be quite difficult to be accountable for anything, right? So the idea of a smart goal, essentially, right? Specific, measurable, actionable, uh, relevant, and timely. Thank you. And so it's a 12-week session with six people and the same six people, right? Yeah. So it's about, I want to say the, uh, 
ideal size is four to five people at the max because we want to give enough time and we want it to be small enough so that um, so that you know we're not you're struggling for time because we want to keep those sessions about one hour. Um, otherwise, it gets really long. So that's really the idea and focus of small groups. Because otherwise, everybody can't uh, engage and share in a more deeper way. Okay, so it is very much about that sort of uh, s- small, connected group of people working together. Yeah. Yeah, um, because... It, you know, it's hard to engage on a very large level, right? Like in a large group, it's very hard for anybody to feel heard, to feel that they matter. And so that's why keeping it to small groups makes it a lot, makes a lot of sense. Because you can't build deep connections if you don't invest that time. I was just going to say, I loved the bread white analogy. And I thought that was really great. I don't know which of um, the founders came up with that, but I think that's really great. So how long did you say that the group um, was in existence before you joined? Uh, probably like a year or so, maybe. But they were just doing like lunch sessions, right? And they were just like roundtable, large, maybe 10, 20 people roundtable type sessions on like, Oh, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Um, sharing locally, but at the same time, I think they wanted to progress to a deeper level of, you know, getting to know each other and why we do what we do. And really, that's, I think that's really at the heart of it, right? Like we see, and and this is not something new that I haven't talked about. We see the output. We see the output all the time but we don't understand their motivation behind why people do what they do and how they do it and how they achieve whatever level of success uh, they have achieved. And so the driving force behind that is to uncover those things in a small group setting so that, uh, you know, they, we can all be supported. I, I definitely agree with you that, um, that's something that people feel a lot more uh, comfortable and can happen more naturally in a small group setting. However, um, I personally want to perpetuate that as a movement around the world. How do you think that you can scale out? Um, and maybe this is like a really bad way to ask it, but scale out that sort of um, interconnected that you have in that sort of group? That's a really great question because that's a, a big question that's been asked at bootcamp for a very long time. How do you scale the community? At what cost? How do you, how do you create a support structure like that? And so my go-to reference is this book called The Starfish and the Spider by this guy called Ori Brofman. And it's building the idea of headless, uh, headless groups, right? Or peer-to-peer communities. And so, yes, you come in for 
to get help, but then you get trained and empowered and the uh, in the group, and and then you go on to either lead your group or establish uh, groups in your community uh, where you are. So in the case of where we're at right now, um, it started as a geographically a restricted location in, in Peoria here in our uh, five county region. But at the same time, you know, it is not a stretch to say that this couldn't happen where you are in Sacramento, California. It couldn't happen in London and uh, the UK or in uh, India or anywhere else uh, because the fundamental culture, alignment, values, and training are the same. And so you come in for one purpose, but then you actually, you don't necessarily exit uh, because really you have benefited from the program and that program becomes uh, its own thing, right? It lives on its own, right? Like Alcoholics Anonymous is not going to disappear. Why? Because we know we're fallible, <laughs> because we know we need help, because we know we need to get to a meeting. No different. Right, so so that's really where we're at. That's a great answer to a very complex question. I appreciate I appreciate your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, so you learn, you go through the process, and that's just the the part of it where you can always improve. The probably the day you stop improving is when the day you you cease to exist. Um, <laughs> I can see that there will always be a need for something like this. So yeah, we're piloting now, and um, if there's something that you'd like to explore, I encourage you to join us. Thank you very much, Andrew. And it seems like this sort of community uh, or interesting community has been something that that's followed you for quite a while, right? Like you started, as you told us, in a more of a design things, and now you've gone to a much more social, community-based sort of interests and pursuits. Um, do you feel like this is, like, like it's, it seems like you've gone sort of improving, improving sort of the focus of what you're working on. Do you feel like this is sort of, at least for now, the tip of what you've been working towards? Or do you feel like there's more you want to do with it? Great question. The, so I spent, I spent the first half of my career chasing the things that everybody else wants, right? Money, uh, car, condo, credit card, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I want to spend the rest of my life creating impact. Creating impact uh, that is uh, long-lasting impact, right? What I, so, the, and you may have already heard this, um, at the Harvard uh, program, the question that the professor will ask is, what are you going to do with your one very uh, precious life 
and, and you know, um, I've seen people more recently have loved ones pass away. What is the legacy that you will leave behind? What do you want to be known for? Uh, you know, very often we are entrepreneurs and innovators in the areas of expertise that we're gifted and talented or even learn to grow in those areas. But at the end of the day, we have to, we, we typically, typically are experts in one or two at the most three things. How, how am I, and I would ask the same question for you, uh, what do you want to do with that one valuable and precious life, right? How can you uh, impact society, impact the world, impact your series of influence and networks in the way that they, you want to be remembered for, right? If you're, and maybe this is also a thought exercise. If you had to design your uh, tombstone today, what would it say? What would uh, Andrew be known for? Um, connector of people uh, and lover of souls. I don't know. Uh, relationship builder. Um, impacting change in the way impacting lasting change in people's lives, right? Changing people's lives for the better, maybe something like that. Um, and that's uh, one hard question I ask myself all the time. What am I doing? Is what I'm doing now, um, doing that, right? So culture, of course, uh, like I said, spent the first half of my life Shaping the life uh, to the job, right, to the work. But now what I want to do is work with people to shape the careers to the lives that people want to lead, right, and to solve problems in that part. And then expertise, that's part of what you already have. That's where I'm at. Hey, Andrew. What's in here? So I, good to see you. I have a question and it's related to something that I'm working on and I think you have you have some you are privy to some information about that project so uh, for the others it's something uh, something that I presented uh, to you during that MIT uh, reunion so it's about how, how we can remove certain uh, barriers to reaching uh, to getting information about care whether it's diabetes or and in that process, one of the ways by which I wanted to ha add a, a humane element was by building community. So do you think this would work, Andrew, in a, in, in a virtual space? Uh, you know, for example, uh, in, if, if I was able to bring that uh, product to life, and if we had a large community of diabetics, hypertension, people with diabetes, hypertension, maybe you had a community which said, young diabetics and this worked for me this didn't work for me or somebody saying hey yes i'm a diabetic but i love this but i was able to do this and still keep my sugars under control 
Do you think this community will work in that kind of a setting, in a very large virtual setting with uh, thousands of uh, people in an app, in multiple small communities? Do you think that's even feasible? Do you think it's something that something I want to do? You think it's it's worth? Sorry. Think so. I think so because they're united by. Do you think? Do I think it's worth doing and experimenting? Absolutely. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, that that's what I wanted to ask. If uh, or do you have some direction to or some sense of which direction to start with when I ultimately plan to bring that community inside? Absolutely. So the what is the one uniting factor? Uh, the one uniting factor is that they have a, it's clear that everybody has diabetes. This is a lifelong chronic condition. This is something that um, as far as traditional medicine is concerned is not healable, right? You, you it, It's lifelong. There's no known cure, at least at this point. And so they're stuck with it. Now, how do you deal with that? And so I think community is going to be a big piece. So one example, uh, Suzanne Mitchell, Dr. Suzanne Mitchell from uh, Boston Medical Center has piloted uh, a virtual community for that. And then that's now being tested, the Philadelphia healthcare system. So definitely, I would say that's something to... Uh, consider because uh, you know you can empathize uh, you know only a diabetic will really understand what a diabetic goes through right the the highs the lows the crashes the times where you're in in an insulin deficient position what that feels like um, can't replace that I hope that answers your question Wasim it does, yes. Thank you. So it's something that I needed to hear uh, with somebody who has experience building communities, whether this is worth pursuing as part of the project. So I think uh, now that I hear it, uh, I will add that into phase one or phase two. Thanks for that. Yeah, and, and, and I'm happy to explore that with you. Uh, maybe this is something that we can experiment. Wow, okay. That'll be great. Uh, whenever we end up in Peoria, yeah, I'll be fine. I will explain the process. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, when you get to when you get to uh, fly all over yeah, again, soon uh, as the airlines are not out yeah, of business. So. Well, I was going to say, you know, on on that last uh, comment, was seem like, uh, I mean, you accomplish a lot from where you are. I mean, you had a huge impact on the reunion that we had. Um, even though you weren't able to be physically there. Um, and and I, I know that your reach is far, you know, from, from where you are, and that is so needed right now. So I honestly kind of wanted to ask you, Andrew, how do you think um, we can take some of those good changes that have, I hate to say good changes that have come out of this pandemic, but looking at the silver lining of things, people really have plugged into community in um, in an amazing way. Like how do we keep that going forward, you know, as we all get back to, you know, tasking ourselves again? 
Yeah, great question. Um, so I think in times of crisis, you know, uh, we fall back to our most basic needs. And so I think for me personally as being my my faith has been my anchor. That's one big thing, which is why I think and they're not something that I typically publicly share. Um as a driver for why I do what I do. The other part to that too is the ability to be flexible in uncertain and ambiguous times, right? If you look at the five stages of grief, because in a crisis, situation that we're all in together right now, we are in a grieving process of what is our routine because we have been abruptly, uh, you know, like a roller coaster, right? It was this huge, sharp, abrupt shift into the unknown. And I want to say the biggest things that we were being through the bootcamp um, you know, have some level of experience with is the, we were all in some place of uncertainty and what we've gone through, the experience in the boot camp has helped us to become more comfortable with ambiguity. Again, all at different levels, but the being comfortable with ambiguity is a huge piece because guess what? The rest of the world is not comfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty. And so we actually, we actually have a leg up on them because we've been through that ridiculous process that has um, in some way shaped our lives to be more resilient, to be able to think on our feet, to be able to say, let's hit the pause button for a second. The world is going nuts. Let's look at what's around us. Uh, do we have any assets that we can start leveraging right now? Can we start taking some time to reflect and think through what we can do going forward? Um, that's really where I'm thinking about. Um, yeah, I hope that answers your question, Nancy. I think that's actually a really good question and a good answer, Andrew. Like, I, I feel like there are so many things that will have been changed from the current situation. And if we can find the sort of positive results from it, I think that could be an exceptionally good thing. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, only time will tell how much we manage to actually maintain and how quickly our memories forget. Absolutely. So, uh, so that's the good side about it, right? So the good side is uh, the removal of geographic restrictions for small businesses that are traditionally retail or, you know, local. The flip side is that there is a lot more noise. 
right? It has been increasingly noisy environment locally as well as globally. And this is where I think it's also great that we've been through the uh, program that teaches the MIT entrepreneurship framework, discipline, entrepreneurship, user innovation, et cetera. And the reason why I'm saying this is because we need to double down on understanding who our customers are. We need to double down on the problems that are worth solving. We need to double down on understanding product market fit. And the groups and the people who will be successful are the ones that, you know, put shift, right? You're, we're, we're shifting resources into these areas. Um, not just investing the resources, but shift, reallocating the resources that we're currently spending or investing on time, efforts, whatever, into deeply understanding customers, our audio target audiences, and to be quite specific. Uh, in fact, I would say even more laser focused than we are before. That's really a big part because in you're not going to cut through the noise if you don't have a laser focus. And I think that's const like that's going to be just more and more important because in as you said in our times we aren't suffering from a lack of information. We always have just more and more noise going on, and like I have to admit that's something that I actually personally have had a lot of trouble with actually getting focus on things because there's always a million different things that you can be working on or take an interest in or, you know, be pursuing at any given time. And it is very difficult to actually have a reasonable idea of which one you're going to do, or at least, sorry, to maintain a good focus on what you're wanting to do, especially with all that noise going on. I think, um, I think that as a point is going to be something that more and more people have to figure out how to deal with. And that's actually a, a good uh, goal for for someone to work on in one of our upcoming Red, Red Biz uh, growth camps because uh, focus is such a key area, right? So um, key area and behavior change because it impacts everything. So what are the ways that you can be accountable to somebody or to a group of people on that, right? So if you, let's say, I need more focus on, you know, my robotics work as an example, or I need to create more focus in my schedule. How can I behaviorally design an intervention so that I can be significantly more focused? For example, for me, if it doesn't exist in my calendar, it's not real. So one thing I do, and this is called in behavioral economics or behavior science of behavior change, it's called a pre-commitment device. It's based on the story of Ulysses uh, sailing past the Isle of the Sirens. Uh, so what he did was he had his, uh, his men, his sailors, tie him to the mast. And they rigged the uh, steering wheel of the ship to sail straight. And so um, 
So basically, he knew that if he had any sort of control, he would sail into the rocks and crash like everybody else. Um, so that's why he had the sailors tie him up and tie the ship to sail straight and have everybody hide down under the deck. And so similarly, coming back to the story of my calendar, why I schedule time in my calendar is because I know that I'm going to forget things. I am going to uh, miss out on things because our memory is finite because we, uh, you know, and really at the end of the day, it's energy management, right? Um, you have to dedicate significant amount of energy to remember things actively, proactively remember things. And so the more that we can offload that into the automatic system and be like, I already want to do something and I'm pre-positioning myself to follow through on the things that I've scheduled time for. Right. Uh, one other example that is quite important for me is we schedule time for meetings, but guess what? We don't schedule time to actually execute on work. That is something that I'm going to be working on going forward. Right? I, I'm doing that in part already, but I'm not as consistent as I could be. So I think going forward for me, the next goal for my next uh, a group will probably be something like that in that area so that I pre-plan out uh, and that becomes something that I set a goal towards too, uh, especially for time allocation. I like that as a system. I think, um, I think I should probably get into using calendars more. I find I'm not very consistent at all with them. Do you use Outlook? Yeah, so, um, and it definitely, I use Google Calendar. So it always baffles me the amount of, um, so for example, people, so I know some people who use a, uh, you know, a paper uh, agenda and calendar. And it always baffles me how, how people can do that because it, it requires, at least from my perspective, it requires so much mental energy to go flip through the pages, to go update it when it changes and all that stuff. I don't know how people do it, right? Uh, whereas if you do it on the phone, so I'm very thankful for a digital calendar where it automatically updates itself. If somebody needs to change a date, if somebody needs to change a time, uh, so I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. And where someone else can like send you updates with all the information. So you don't have to worry about writing it all down yourself. Yeah. And, and Doc was also just mentioned time zones are so much more convenient to have a digital one. I couldn't imagine organizing like a zoom call with multiple people without a digital calendar. So it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So to me, like, any sort of calendar on the wall or agenda booklet type of thing doesn't make sense. But hey, some people like to do some paper stuff and write down stuff. Maybe that's the action part for them that makes sense. But yeah. 
Exactly. Honestly, I can tell that today is the precursor to um, a behavior modification um, too, because um, you could probably go deep into that too, because um, I don't know if you still do this, Andrew, but I remember that you had um, even though things like Trello exist, you had a wall of sticky notes. <laughs> oh, you're a Google Calendar user, right? And and for yeah. me, like I yeah, absolutely feel like having like a physical journal for some items that I keep track of. Yeah. And it does take more time, but I think that's part of the reason that I like that. But I also really like the convenience of digital organization, actually, for the reason that was seen listed. I really have become a huge fan of Google Calendar. It also has to do with how we're able to, to view something, like the value of it. So efficiency is part of that value, but, but it's not the only factor. I don't know if you still have your wall of sticky notes, but if you do, I respect that because I do things like that. Yeah, so, um, so behavior change is hard. Unless you design specifically for an intervention to change behavior, it is not going to happen by default. Right. For example, if I am going to go to the grocery store and come back to food all over again, if I'm going to the grocery store to buy food, I am not going to buy, you know, junk because I know that I'm going to have to eat it. Right. So we control our environment. We can, and it's based on the idea of this uh, thing called choice architecture. If we are in control of our environment, we need to create an environment that is conducive for the interventions to happen. Uh, because currently this is our routine, our routine, wake up in the morning, brush teeth, uh, eat breakfast, eat lunch, um, you know, go to work, whatever exercise. And so if you're in control of your environment, and you want to change your existing routine and your defaults because you're in control of that, you're able to do it. But if you're, for example, why is it so hard for people to, you know, get married and, and adjust when after they get married and start living together as an example, right? Because the routines on, on both sides will, could be quite different. Like I wake up at, you know, I sleep at nine o'clock, you sleep at, 2 a.m. And Nancy, maybe you and Brian can talk about that. How is it like difficult? Was it difficult, you know, in adjusting? Because suddenly the two different uh, environments and the defaults are very different. And maybe yours was the same. I don't know. How did you even design the change together? And it takes time and it's so hard to overcome our natural abilities. For example, if you, if you, <laughs> You know, always brush your teeth with your right hand. You're not going to overnight change to brush your teeth with your left hand, right? So there's a lot that needs to be overcome in terms of designing and implementing behavior change. I mean, you're talking about something much more complicated too, which is like a merger of systems. And I mean, you think of this as a company standpoint too, like 
Um, so when two, you know, big companies merge together, whose system do you adopt? You know, are you going to have some sort of a hybrid or is one company just going to submit to the way the other company was, or are you just going to sort of survive alongside one another? Um, and I, I think we've probably been through a lot of the elements of all of those. Honestly, that's probably a conversation for another day too, but, um, but you said the word um, control. Like part of my brain goes, control is an illusion. And I can say that, um, that if you, you want my uh, marriage as an example, um, the day after we got engaged and we had this great little plan, got laid off and that plan changed a lot. So uh, part of that system, whatever it is, has to be coming back to that core of what your, you know, your founding group agrees upon, your community strength, whatever that is, there has to be that, that X factor. So I'm going to circle right back to our topic of um, community and say that like that's that's the X factor that's missing from a lot of what people try to do and I want to figure out how you put that in a, a pill form that you can give to people no I'm just kidding you can't but I do want to figure out how to how to perpetuate it um, because I think that it's something beautiful coming out of this right now so the pill form I can give you a pill form it's one word can you guess what that word is no. Um, so the pill form and the word is culture. We are we are perpetuators perpetuators of culture, right? These are the unseen, unspoken, unwritten rules of engagement, and this really comes down to the values and of why we want to live our lives the way we live them. That's really it, I think. That that's beautiful. I totally agree with you. We're gonna perpetuate the, the culture that we wanna see. Yeah. So uh somebody say famous said, be the change you want to see, right? And that's what we have to do. Own the problems when it's solved, be the change we wanna see. Uh explicit about it. And so going forward, I think out of the coronavirus pandemic, we're going to see a lot more tribes. Tribe that you wanna be part of the, the tribe and community that you want to engage in. What are the values? What are the values that you want to perpetuate? And what are the environment? What is the environment that you want to create? Well, thanks for being part of ours, and and thanks for for helping grow this um uh, this kind of adventure in in trying to um, connect us all. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure to serve and I look forward to continuing this uh, relationship with everyone. Do you have a link for Red Biz? Yes. Facebook page is slash Red Biz Camp. That's the Facebook page. And then the sign up page is Red Biz. Yeah, so those are the two links. Thank you, Andrew. So I didn't catch, oh, yes, thank you. And I didn't catch it. Is it open to um, 
people outside of the geographic region? Yes. So it is because we're hundred percent going to be hundred percent online. So it's open to everybody in the entire world right now. Who people who want to walk through the next twelve weeks, uh, starting next week with us, in terms of uh, you know growing professionally in some way or another. Awesome! Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Great talking to you. Take care, everyone. This has been Nancy and Spencer on Founders Voyage Weekly Podcast. Our speaker each week can be reached through our Discord server. Our intro and outro music is from the song Something for Nothing by Reverend Peyton's Big Damn Band. We'll be back again next week for another episode. Until then, have a great day and continue your voyage.